Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Rowdy Buddhist Podcast. I hope you're all doing well. I really appreciate everyone's continued support, uh, and uh, I'm very happy to be able to offer uh, these teachings to you. It's really wonderful because actually um, the next teaching that we go into, I get to look back into my notes uh, from my time during the monastery and compare and contrast with what I understand now. And uh, it's really wonderful because it brings back a lot of great teachings and a a lot of great experiences that I was able to have. So today, uh, by request, somebody had asked me to speak on the four foundations of mindfulness. And I would say that in that, I wouldn't just give a general title, the four foundations of mindfulness. I would say the four foundations of Buddhist mindfulness. And the reason why I say that is because in, in the recent probably 10, 20 years now, 20 years now, um, this has become a very fad word. You know, uh, many people use it in the idea that um, generally to become mindful means to become more effective in your work, become uh, more cunning or more aware that uh, one can uh, excel uh, in whatever that they do. Kind of a lot of times I feel it's almost an idea of like superhuman power just like everything else, like reading a comic book or something, somebody wants to gain a superhuman strength so that they have something over on other people. But it's important that we as Buddhists understand the meaning of this word because we have our own concept and then there is a very secular concept, which is devoid of Buddhism. And, you know, many people will say that, oh, there are many traditions and and many practices that use mindfulness etc. However, as again, and and I've said this many times, we need to understand uh, through our tradition of Buddhism uh, what the difference is and why we uh, and how we um, are able to explain these foundations. So again, the purpose and the, the purpose is different, as I just stated at the beginning, for Buddhism, because Buddhism our goal is not necessarily, even though it may be a really wonderful side effect, um, to become better at paying attention or being more aware of your surroundings or being able to do better at your job, etc. But our real goal, which we always have to remind and remember ourselves, what, as Komodo Sensei would always commonly say, what is the purpose? Get to the point. Our purpose is to uh, attain samadhi to attain enlightenment awakening and in our tradition as we'll talk later this concept of kanjin true insight into reality now that's very important that we understand our goal because the way that we understand and utilize these four foundations will be very important uh, towards our goal and that in 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 a lot of situations in the secular sense or in the how would you say the business sense they don't have the same goal that we have. So they they may utilize these foundations differently. But we as Buddhists should um, understand them with that goal in mind. So this the four foundations are, and I remember this because uh, one of the interesting things about being in a monastery is that even though you are one tradition, you would have monks and nuns from many traditions come. And I remember during my opportunity to study uh, Pali and Sanskrit, uh, we were learning uh, different suttas or sutras. 
And this uh, sutra that we're speaking of is the Pali name is going to be Maha, the great Sati Patana Sutra. That means the, the kind of mindfulness foundation that we focus on. It's a very general translation of that, but um, the great Maha is, of course, great. And these are discourses on the Theravadan practical way to practice Vipassana, right? So this is very important to understand that these are what sutras that they come from um, and understand that this is, again, just a directional teaching as to one aspect of practice. So mindfulness is but one aspect of practice. So it's very interesting because a lot of times we as Buddhists can, and this happens when you learn the teachings, uh, I believe at, at first, because there are so many teachings that we think that these are all just kind of secret, like how do you say, specific separate techniques to allow us to uh, attain enlightenment, but actually it's all together. Um, so it's important that you, when when you study these, that you incorporate it into your practice. Because again, you have to have your goal according to your um, understanding. Because it's not just practicing to be a Buddhist. We have a specific reason, as I said. And as it says in chapter 16 of the Lotus Sutra, the Buddhist only purpose is to allow people to quickly and efficiently attain enlightenment. So that is important that we keep that in mind as we move forward. So the first thing that we would always talk about would be a benefits, because obviously, <clears throat> what does it mean? Why would you do it? And again, these benefits, as I said, are kind of uh, secondary effects of the practice, because we as Buddhists should always have our eye, our direction in, um, the way towards awakening. So we shouldn't automatically be caught thinking that Buddhism is simply a self-help course in order to make us feel better or to make us happier, etc. We wish to not just be happy, but to overcome all suffering, uh, to attain pure and uh, unhindered enlightenment. So some of the benefits that they would speak of, of course, is that in overcoming sadness, pain, etc. So those things are that um, this tradition, this practice was very much helping people. It would be used expediently to help people with deep sadness or that people had lots of physical pain. Because as you see, as we move forward through the four, you'll see that each one is being, uh, how do you say, acknowledged, understood, and, and deeply investigated and looked into. So, the first of the four foundations of mindfulness is mindfulness of the body. And it's really important to understand what that means. Because when we talk about foundations of the body, uh, we understand what is the basic thing. And this is interesting because Buddhism does very efficiently allow us to work with what we have and that's why being born as a human is so optimal in buddhism is that the mindfulness is of the body is the buddha reminding us to see the body in the body and that means that we should recognize that the body is not just simply a, a solid unified object but it's a it's a collection of things 
And in that, we call it body contemplation. And the contemplation means that the contemplation is the direct method, direct contact of the object. So I always talk about it in this way, that it's like in science you have the percentage of error that is, is you always try to get as close to the original object to measure to have a correct measurement and the further you get away from that object or uh, measuring other like objects um, there becomes this percentage of error so in Buddhism we have direct focus that we look at the aggregates with this ma matter this own physical body that we have so as we know it's a collection of parts it's a collection of the five elements and there are many things that we are able to see such as the physical phenomena the body one's own physical body which is the materials and processes so we observe the matter that composes our body we clearly comprehend it we understand and see through proper observation what how the body is divided into many parts becoming mindful of each then becoming mindful of the entire body but actually we understand see that the body as body not as my body or as myself but simply as a physical form like that of other forms like all forms and that the body as it comes into creation is here then for a short time then simply passes away it experiences illness sickness death and that we realize that this body is not a lasting source of happiness but unsatisfactory and since it is not me I can also be called selfless when through mindfulness through our practice it helps us to recognize that the body is impermanent unsatisfactory as stated in the Four Noble Truths without the permanent self we see the body as it really is this is simply observing the aggregates how matter comes into creation moves changes etc and that through mindfulness we realize and see the true state of the body being composed of these materials and processes so important to realize that it is simply observing watching seeing the true state of the body because actually as we see in the forms of suffering most people think the body is self that the body is reality and that actually it's really always astounded me uh, that many people don't know anything about their own body like how the body works how the heart works you know and more as I'm saying more specific components of the body how blood etc and it's interesting because actually that was quite a big part of Buddhism um, and through the idea of medicine understanding the workings the dynamics of it and this was of course a benefit of mindfulness that one was able to observe 
the movements in the body, etc., that we see in Eastern medicine with the idea of energy. And one of the things that can be accomplished through this goal of realizing the true nature of body, we are able to overcome greed and attachment. This is one of the benefits of this first of four uh, mindfulness practices. Then the second object of contemplation that we are able to observe is the mindfulness of feelings. So this is the idea of the mental, mental aspect and that actually there are three types of feelings uh, according to Buddhism. The first is pleasant, that could be like a pleasant touch, uh, unpleasant, and neutral. This is the framework of self that we experientially understand through, my, through feelings. The Buddha tells us to contemplate on the feeling in the feeling. So that means simply not just being taken aside by or taken with the idea that these feelings are self and that like body, the feelings are also subdivided into those three types of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. In each type of these feelings, in this mental awareness that we understand as the word feelings, quote, at any moment we are able to notice one type, whether it is pleasant or painful or neutral. And we are able to see and develop through this awareness, through this observation of mind, and this is one aspect of mind, two parts being of mind, consciousness, and mental associations. Consciousness we work towards into the next one with the idea of mind, but this one we work through mental associations. This is the idea of our feelings towards, reaction towards. But through this, we're able to develop a simple, non-judgmental awareness of what is happening, what is going on, what is moving. And again, the process, we're observing the process. And we can then see that, in particular, that the many feelings that we have we can see them as my feelings or as a part of me. People will see that. We watch the emotion. We think that it is a reality, but we are able to watch it as it arises, is present, and then simply passes away. This allows us to again see the impermanence of feeling. This shows that an unpleasant feeling will not last forever. A pleasant feeling will not last forever. And we understand again that these feelings are unsatisfactory. And when we use this word unsatisfactory, and that's why instead of suffering for the Four Noble Truths, they use the word unsatisfactory. It is because the word unsatisfactory means that it will not bring lasting satisfaction. Our lasting satisfaction, of course, would be to overcome suffering. So we see a feeling as an emotion or sensation of the body or even caused by the body or caused by these external aggregates rather than as my feeling. We come to see the kind of selflessness of feelings, recognizing that these truths that we know is that 
what these truths are that we call feelings and what we actually base a lot of our life on are just simply causes and conditions that are brought about by movement of the mind or body. And that in reality we can see how that, for instance, and this is very similar in, in meditation, holding on to them, they remain. But observing them, we can see that as they come, they simply go. And I remember in the monastery, them saying a very great metaphor that these are like clouds and these thoughts, which are the next thing that we'll go into when we talk about mindfulness of the mind, that these thoughts are impermanent and they simply fall away. Now, for the third one, the mindfulness of mind, contemplating observation without thoughts. So we, again, use the same concept and feelings are mind. As I said, we have two parts of consciousness and then mental uh, associations. Now we're talking about consciousness. This is the true object of mind. So when we talk about mind, people talk about it as the actual thing. Uh, actually, mind or consciousness is a succession of particular instances of mind in mind. As this teaching teaches us, consciousness arises from the moment to moment on the basis of information that was brought into by the senses, that which we see, hear, smell, taste, or touch. And that from internal mental states, such as memories, uh, our belief system, our ideas, when we look at the mind, we are not looking at some consciousness. We're, we're looking at these particular states that are arising depending on external or internal conditions. And that simply by paying attention to the way that each of these thoughts arise, we are able to see that it remains and passes away. This is one example again as one of my teachers had explained, that we are able to see the true nature of mind. That is the idea that mind is simply caused and conditions. And that we can stop this runaway imagination, this runaway train of all these unsatisfactory, unfulfilling thoughts that we believe are bringing purpose and meaning to our life but allowing them to see that they are impermanent, that they are not sustaining. And that when we see that, one of the things that we are able to do is appear to have a detachment to these arisings and disappearings of these mental agitations or mental formations that we are trying. So we come to see mind as it really is. Now it's important to understand that also an important aspect that is not brought up usually is that mind is not to be disparaged but mind is to see and again the focus of Buddhism is to see it as it is. So therefore we understand the limitations of mind. That the mind is simply trying to take our environment and everything around us and put it into some kind of understandable formation. But we realize that in reality, if we simply follow mind, we will get caught in this samsaric, circleistic, um, 
I say toilet toilet bowl effect where we go from one thought to another, even if it, we consider it to be pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Uh, they all arise and go into another if we uh, hold mind as the idea of true self. And then the fourth is going to be uh, the mindfulness of dharmas. Dharma is kind of object or phenomena. This is from the Buddha's teaching. So dharma can be the idea of um, uh, that we see things, the phenomena, how we observe things, and that dhar dharma or dharma is a kind of creation. From it, it shows this kind of movement. So it's not something that's permanent. It's something that comes into effect, comes into creation, and then goes out of creation, as we saw with our uh, the emotion, the, the physical sensations from the body, the mental formations from the feelings, the mind formation as the mind, and now the idea of seeing as how we observe the world. That. The Buddha is reminding us that the Dharma, the these agitations, these phenomena, that we can contemplate them with from within us, and that we are observing them, putting names on them, putting meaning to them. And the Buddha himself, before he attained enlightenment, the Buddha searched outside of himself at all times. I mean, he was looking at you know, the idea of even the basic concept of religion, that something outside of oneself will be able to bring out one's salvation, looking for their God, uh, the meaning of his existence, the cause of his existence. But of course, whenever we look outside, one of the most important things that Skumoto Sensei always said, Buddhism is not to focus outside, but to focus inside. That's a very important aspect of how we look for meaning, how we look for awakening. So, but of course, the Buddha wasn't able to actually find it. Instead, he realized that he, as a body, as a feeling, as a mind, which is a permanent thing, is, of course, um, subject to the suffering of birth, uh, old age, disease, death, sadness, defilement, addiction, all of that. And that when we look outside of ourselves, we could see that everyone, the Buddha saw everyone else was suffering from these same problems. And it helped to see that nothing outside that we tried to cling to, that we tried to put meaning to, was able to bring about this awakening. And then it directed it naturally to an internal awareness and that we are able to see through the opening they call this part the dharma the opening of the doors the contemplation the insight into the physical mind the mental reality this is where when we see what is the true nature what is our true nature we see this as buddha nature and it depends on which path that you are following, how you interpret the dharmas. And then when you look beyond the dharmas to being able to see the true dharma, the true reality, we call this in Nichiren Buddhism, kanjin. Kanjin meaning the idea of 
insight into contemplative original insight into the physical mind the mental reality seeing things as they are as it is we say all the time and that when we see this we are able to realize and this is the idea of mindfulness mindfulness was simply directing us to realizing this true state by using what we have closest to us to observe what that is closest to us to become aware of what the reality what we are working with it's a very amazing system that the Buddha works us through each of those because you could see where a lot of times in most religion you could get stuck in one of the other some religion is just of that of body some religion is that of emotion some religion is that of mind such as we can even see that in the modern uh, in the modern society for sure really rely on mind that's why easy to make fun of and look at people who maybe have a spiritual idea or something like that that's where spirituality has died whereas a long time ago before we had science uh, that was a necessity of life but we as Buddhists look beyond that because even the concept of science politics all these external things are not giving us true salvation true awakening true insight into the reality of things as they are and again that is where the goal is very important because if you don't have a goal you may think i'm overcoming these things i'm mindfully learning about this because why you may be just chasing another desire to become a superhuman or to become a god or to become a demon or to become a ruler but again this is again very far and of course as you can see you are stuck in one of the uh, one of those aspects of the body feelings mind or even into just phenomena you look around and you think you see reality as it is or that you can manipulate and change reality but we as Buddhists should always look towards our goal that is understanding the correct contemplative insight into the reality of things as they are as it is quote i hope all of you uh, are able to understand this lecture concerning the four mindfulness practices of buddhism contemplative practices of buddhism and if you have any questions please always feel free to uh, correspond with me thank you very much namo myoho renge kyo